0: And now, welcome to the Just the West podcast. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Just the West podcast. I'm your host, Just the West, and happy, shoot, happy Tuesday. By the time my listeners get this, it's going to be Wednesday, so it's going to be on the eve of the NFL draft. But I thought this would be a great time. We took a bit of a uh, two-week hiatus to, to kind of relax, but I got my um, my other co-host, Michael Mason, on the line. Michael, are you there? Yes, I am. All right, perfect. So we had two weeks to show. We did State of the Niners. We did State of the Cardinals. We were supposed to do the Seahawks coming up, but we, yeah, we took a bit of time to relax a bit. But I think the timing couldn't have been better. Russell Wilson is now the highest paid quarterback in the league at $35 million per. And Frank Clark today just got traded from the Seahawks to the Chiefs. Um,. A lot of shit just went down. A lot of shit just went down right before the NFL draft. So if we're going to talk Seahawks, we might as well do it today. Mason, are you ready?
1: Oh, yes, I am. I'm definitely ready to talk about the Seahawks, a team that, not necessarily on the highest of my teams that I like.
0: And so I, I, give, you a lot, I give you a lot of credit for this, Mason. And the reason why is because, I mean, you know, Just the West covers the NFC West, Niners, Cardinals, Rams, Seahawks. But I know... It, through thick and thin you are a Niners fan and so you know I know that you don't really like the Seahawks per se but you know what they do say they say keep your enemy or keep your friends close keep your enemies closer and you should know about this Seahawks roster because you see them every you see them twice a season and you don't like them but you better know their roster so um, let's just go ahead and get to it Mason it's going to be I'd say a bit of a tougher exercise for For you, but uh have at it. We're gonna talk about their pros, their cons, a couple of their recent uh moves in the offseason, and we'll get to the draft. So having said that, the Seattle Seahawks they finished 10 and 6 last year. They were actually, in my eyes, actually going into it, they were expected to quote unquote rebuild. Um, you know, they had a lot of transitions going on, they lost Earl Thomas uh, early in the season cam chancellor retired richard sherman went to the niners i mean this was supposed to be in terms of leadership it was supposed to be a transition year for the defense um you know obviously russell wilson's still there and that's kind of a big reason of why they still remain competitive in the nfc west and just the nfc conference as a whole Uh, they found a renewed run game they were one of the top rushing teams in the nfl between chris carson and rashad penny uh, they were, I think they were number one in play action, if not top two, top three. Uh, Russell Wilson to Tyler Laquette, they were the number one ranked duo on uh, play action passes. They were near perfect connecting to each other. And yeah, the defense was good enough. I mean, the defense, it wasn't maybe, you know, three, four years ago, Legion of Boone good. But it was solid enough for them to finish with a 10-6 record to play at Dallas where you could argue uh, had they had passed the ball more had been more aggressive offensively they could have had that game but uh, they lost they lost to the Cowboys and now they go into this offseason with uh, a couple of questions um, you know you look at this defense like I mentioned before you, you no longer have the defensive stalwarts like Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman But you still have a couple of interesting pieces. You have Bobby Wagner. You have Bradley McDonald. Um, You have a couple of pieces up there to really take forth with the defense. And more so than anything, they still have Russell Wilson. Mason, just initial thoughts when you look at this roster uh, from head to toe. um, Just your initial thoughts.
1: Well, and I, I see a roster that was definitely in a transition uh, because they, they uh, you know, when I think about the Seattle Seahawks, I think about a team that had a great defense and a tremendous run game. And they had lost that identity because, the, you know, the players that were there, that was the Legion of Boom, as you mentioned, no longer there. And they went from uh, a high-powered run game when they were in their prime, you know, uh, six years ago. To transitioning to like one of the most imbalanced teams and having a complete passing game, and you know, I felt as though last year that commitment to the run game, uh, you know, I haven't seen it since they had traded Max Unger. Uh, you know, when they, they went, they converted over and they became uh, the New Orleans Saints basically. But you know, making that switch back to the run game and having that balanced offense uh, and having their base defense. They brought back the blueprint that made them successful before, uh, even without necessarily a top tier running back. They had a slew of three different running backs that they kept on interchanging, and they were still able to get that kind of a production. But, um, you know, so I love to see that, but I'm very curious to see how everything's going to work out with having Russell Wilson as the highest paid player in the league. I know that the the quarterback is always going to be the highest paid. You know, last year we had Jimmy G was the highest paid player, then Aaron Rodgers, the highest paid for a brief moment, and, you know, now we have Russell Wilson. So, how will he live up to that $35 million a year? Because, uh, you know, Kirk Cousins, different situations, he had a very hard time living up to, you know, that high base salary. But when I look at their team, and I also wonder who their weapons are, uh, you know, other than Doug Baldwin, because what did we really see from him last year? And is that that run game that they had last year, is that sustainable? And then the defense, right? I mean, they just traded away their best player, uh, supposedly. So, you know, are, are they going to be able to replicate that? I mean, they, they just lost, you know, 13 sacks, um, you know, on the end. Like, you know, I, I thought it's a great trade. We'll get to that later. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, how are you going to be able to survive Uh, You know, going with that same blueprint moving forward, I think this draft is going to be extremely important because they're kind of on the verge of okay, are we going to be a playoff team every year or they could fall back into being a seven and nine team every year? So it's they're really like this, this draft is so important to the Seahawks. Um, You know, what do you think about that, Justin?
0: Yeah, no, you, you, your money on that. When you look at the Seahawks right now, they're coming off a, a ten and six record, where they you know weren't supposed to be a ten and six type of team. They weren't supposed to be in the playoffs at least, in my eyes. They they weren't um, credit to Russell Wilson, credit to, to management for keeping them right in the mix. But I think more so than anything, just in regards to taking a big picture perspective about the Seahawks. And this is what's going to make it really interesting. Um, I view John Schneider, their general manager. This is like the second half of, of his baby. So his baby, Russell Wilson, he found him in the mid rounds and he was able to find Bobby Wagner, Richard Sherman in the mid rounds as well. Earl Thomas, first round, Ken Chancellor right in the mix. And so for the longest time, he was able to ride off his draft prizes, the ones that he really hits, and it kind of, kind of hit on some of his previous mistakes. You know, trading for Percy Harvin, trading for Jimmy Graham, uh, a couple of misfires in the draft. But uh, you know, to be quite honest, I mean, him drafting Russell Wilson and having him under a rookie wage salary, let alone like a, a mid-round salary, he was able to retain the defense, pay all his players and keep it going that's the first half of this franchise and then slowly as you saw when they lost to the patriots in the super bowl um you kind of saw the team take a step back and you know their, their players got older they had to go and make some tough decisions uh, obviously with illusion of boom they are no more as of 2019 uh, and there was a little bit of animosity from what i heard at least from what insiders like to imply that, Hey, the defense was kind of at odds with Russell Wilson, where they felt that the team beat Carroll management tended to side with the quarterback. And lo and behold, I mean, this is officially Russell Wilson's team. There's no more Legion of boom. This defensive roster is vastly younger and up and coming. And so with the Russell Wilson now as the highest paid player in the league, This is officially his team. And so John Schneider has the task at hand of, you know, taking those draft picks once again with his upcoming draft class and he needs to hit, he needs to get more draft picks. They only have five draft picks this year. They need to capitalize on that because I mean, for cost effective purposes, you know, with Russell Wilson getting that big deal. And if you're going to, you know, give Bobby Wagner or Jerron Reed big bucks, I mean, yeah, there are some hard decisions that could be made. So this is the second half of John Schneider's baby, and the good thing for him is he's got his franchise quarterback. Um, he's got he's got the same head coach that he inherited uh, when he was with or when he came on with Seattle. So what are they going to do in the second half of this John Schneider era? Because I mean, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty evident that they don't want to rebuild per se. They want to kind of rebuild on the fly, but they're still here to compete in the NFC West. So with that being said, let's just get right into it, Mason. So Russell Wilson last week—it was just last week, by the way—but there were, well, it wasn't even a rumor. Russell Wilson told told his management that, hey, I want to get a new deal. I know that I have a current deal right now, but I should get paid like a top tier quarterback. And so they gave him a deadline, or he gave the management a deadline, and at the 11th hour or whatever. Management agrees. They give him a four-year, $140 million contract extension. And with that being said, I believe $65 million signing bonus, $107 million in guarantees for an annual salary of $35 million. So this makes him the number one highest-paid quarterback in the league for now, by the way. And just looking at it right now, four years, and then uh, let me see uh on this third year there's a potential out in 2022 um that would save them not too much it's a pretty standard deal uh full no trade clause um yeah there's no unlike jimmy garoppolo or like let's just say even colin capper there's no incentive laden deal it's nothing front heavy he's getting paid there's no if ands or buts around it there's nothing cute about this deal so I mean, Mason. Overall, I mean, what what say you about this deal? It's four years, one hundred forty million dollars, and this really shows that hey, this is officially Russell Wilson's team.
1: Oh no, there's no, no doubt about it. I mean, you know, having a you know thirty five million dollar per year contract, and it, when you break it down per second, he's making a dollar and ten cents every second. I like it. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't have many jobs that pay over a dollar a second, but uh, you know Russell Wilson found one, and you know I I think that the big difference is that the expectations that come with that money, because Russell Wilson has been at or near the top, uh, you know, since he came in the league. You know, like you, you you know, I've complimented Russell Wilson many times, talked about. You know, how amazing of a leader, his scramble ability, uh, you know, like his accuracy as a quarterback, you know, being able to roll out, you know, just watch what he creates. It was, it was very frustrating as an opposing fan, um, you know, but you just, you know, as a good guy, you have to like him. So you know, I think that no matter what the cost is, you know, and even though we talked about how they've made the transition to the run, that $35 million a year, you have to give that money to that to that guy because that person is your leader that you know that that person is going to give you the best chance and you know if you look at the seahawks obviously they want to have that balanced approach but they know without that the right quarterback that you're never going to be a successful team so you know because of what he's done and what he's going to do more importantly you know i truly believe that 35 million dollars is a great deal now You know, talking about the what have you done for me lately? What are you going to do for me? You know, I've seen in most sports nowadays before you were always paid based on what your name was, what you've done in the past. And, you know, I feel as though in sports nowadays people are like, well, why are we going to pay these people for the downward end of their career? We have to pay them on the upswing. And, you know, he's right in the prime of his career, he's entering an, uh, an upswing. So, Obviously, with the money that the Seahawks gave him, they're looking for Russell Wilson to even get better over these next four years.
0: To your point, though, Russell Wilson, he's in his prime right now at age 30. But, he, I mean, he, hear me out, though, Mason. Hear me out. Okay, he's 30 years old, but he's an undersized quarterback. You could make a case that he's a good pocket passer, but he's still a more mobile quarterback. He's an undersized quarterback at that where, I mean, you know, I, I'll give him a lot of credit. Offensive line did get a lot better after Tom Cable, their former offensive line coach, went elsewhere. They went into um, a more traditional blocking scheme, and it worked well. You know, I I give them a lot of credit. They became a very um, even legitimate, if not uh, above average running team and that really went well for russell wilson but i mean it's just it's just really ironic for me i mean the seahawks they made the playoffs but they were the most run heavy team in the league actually if that i think they were the lone team in the modern day nfl world of 2019 where they ran the ball more than they passed i think they ran the ball like what 51 53 3% of the time, while everyone else has been aiming more towards the pass. And so, you know, I get you want to run the ball and run the ball, but I mean, they lost to the Cowboys because they ran the ball on first down, second down, even third down. I just, you know, third and long situations and put Russell Wilson in a, a really hard situation, which begs the question is, you know, just because, well, you're paying him number one quarterback money is this offense going to change is it going to get better i mean are you continuing to utilize him as a you know he should be the feature guy but it just felt like last season they kind of went away from him um they didn't put it really on his shoulders as much um that that's a little bit problematic for me i I just don't know what the direction uh philosophically for this offense is going you know i'm saying mason
1: no, I, I hear you there. Like, I'll give you a, a breakdown between, like, 2017 and 2018, right? So how you talked about they they ran the ball so much more, right? And obviously their running efficiency went up. But let's just look at how that affected Russell Wilson because – you always hear that the run sets up the pass in football. And obviously nowadays with how high-powered the offenses are, sometimes the pass sets up the run and, you know, vice versa. But, uh, you know, when you go with that old-school, you know, methodology, the the, uh, Seahawks became so much more efficient because they threw the ball 120 times less last year, but they only lost... Uh, you know, 500 yards. Uh, So their average went up from 7.2 yards per attempt to 8.1 yards. And Russell Wilson's completion percentage went up from 61 to 66%. So he had his second best year for completion percentage and, you know, right up there for, you know, his highest for, you know, average per completion. So, you know, both of those increase, um, you know, because you're taking the pressure off of the quarterback. Um, So, I mean, that's you do need to have that balance. Like, you know, it's the run really is important. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. So it does in that regard, it helps with the efficiency of the passing game.
0: It's just a. I just feel like it's a bit of an imbalance of of building this roster because, you know, now you're turning into a, a run heavy team now, which is fine giving Russell Wilson all this money, which I can understand, but I mean, just look at their offense. I mean, their, their skill position players, for example, D- Doug Baldwin, I mean, he, he's, he's been a great player, but he's on his last legs, I, I feel like. Tyler Laquette, he finally broke out. They gave him an extension last year, so I'm glad to see that, but you know, outside of that, the Jameen Graham experiment didn't work. Uh, they're pretty thin at tight end. Um, you know, their offensive line got better, but I mean, if you're going to pay this franchise quarterback all all this money i mean it just feels like they um they're just kind of finessing themselves meaning that they're they're not they're in it on paper but are they really in it to to have a, a successful offense especially in 2019 um that that remains to be seen for me i feel that they keep on going back and forth on their philosophy
1: no i, I... I would, I would see how you could say it because, you know, like they, like I said, they were run heavy team, then pass heavy, right. and then you know, right back to run heavy. So it's like they're struggling to find their identity. But, you know what, uh, I felt like they really made progress last year. Like, you know, the emergence of Rashad Penny towards the end of the year, uh, Chris Carson, you know, Mike Davis, all, all those guys, um, you know, were able to help the team. And, you know, obviously – You look at the difference, you know, between 17 and 18, you know, they they went from not making the playoffs to making the playoffs. And, you know, I I feel as though that they've come up with their game plan on how they're going to achieve it. And you look at it, are they a better team, uh, you know, not having that $35 million tied up to Russell Wilson and hoping to get a draft pick with a quarterback and then spending those couple of years to – you know, develop them to where they can actually win a Super Bowl. So, it's there's a lot of risk, and you know, if, if I was the GM, I'd much rather just take the safe bet, pay the man the money, and call it a day. Yeah. You know, so, it's how much of a gambler is their general manager?
0: I mean, if you're a run heavy team right now and you don't really rely on your quarterback per se, then why have a then why have a quarterback like Russell Wilson? It's like having a expensive car. In your garage, spring, summer, fall, winter. You know what I'm saying?
1: No, but, yeah, you know know how I'm saying uh, the run sets up the pass. Uh, I also said that the pass sets up the run. And if they're not afraid of who your quarterback is, they're going to put eight, nine guys in the box, and you're never going to be able to run the ball. So nowadays, you have to be threatening on both fronts. Uh, I, I would say that look at what... Uh-huh. You know, New England Patriots have done with their run game. Their run games always near the top of the league. And no one ever can no one calls them a run game. It's look at Tom, you know Tom Brady's never started the year. Look at New Orleans Saints uh, after they made that trade with Seattle and had that you know improved focus on the run like Max Unger coming in at center for them, changed the whole way that you know it's run in New Orleans. And so you can see for these high powered offenses, they they're great at passing. Their passing game is amazing, but they have to have the run. You know, so you know all of the high-powered offense throughout the league. They have that run game. Um, you know, and it's the run game doesn't work unless you have a quarterback to back it up on on the other end. So you know, it's the, those two phases definitely help each other.
0: Last thing about Russell Wilson that I'll kind of I uh, kind of alluded to earlier. So this is like the second half of John Schneider's era because in this half instead of riding on Russell Wilson's cheap rookie contract, he finally paid him. You know, this is officially his team. He got his money. Um, So that means that, hey, you know, moving forward, you know, they can't be as savvy via free agency or or trades. Uh, They really need to utilize the cost-effective approach that every GM should do, but more importantly now, with draft picks because, I mean, yeah, uh, it's going to be harder and harder to keep Russell Wilson on the roster and, and, and retain your core. You need cost effective players via NFL draft. And let me lead this to the next question, I, I guess. So Russell Wilson, four years, 130, $140 million. That was last week. That was last week's news. And fast forward to today, Tuesday, two days before the NFL draft, they only have four NFL draft picks. And so, you know talking about that you know they only have four picks and so look what they do um they traded arguably their best or he is he is their best pass rusher on the roster 25 year old frank clark uh he is a ideal 4-3 defensive end pass rusher where not only does he rush the passer he had 13 sacks by the way this past season but he's also a good run defender that is kind of the reason why the chiefs had Let D Ford go to the Niners. They received a future second rounder from the Niners for D Ford. That's why they let Justin Houston leave via free agency for the Colts because instead of their 3 4, they went to a 4 3, and they felt that Frank Clark would be the perfect pass rusher to do not only rushing the passer but to defend the run as well. And so, subsequently, you know, for the Seahawks, they decided to pay Russell Wilson and I don't know. Did this have an effect where they went to save some dollars elsewhere because they felt that Frank Clark wouldn't be compensated accordingly? Uh, The Chiefs gave up a first round pick this year, which is the 29th overall. They swapped second round picks uh, next year, which is either going to be the the latter between their own pick and the Niners future second round pick. And then they swapped third round picks um, this year. So, uh, just before we even get to the Frank Clark question per se, Mason, do you think that Russell Wilson's contract had an effect to subsequently trade Frank
1: Clark? Well, yeah, I think it had to. Uh, You know, you you think, do you want to have $75 million tied up to three players? And in the salary cap era we live in, you can do that and be successful. But I feel as though, you know, they, they decided to go a different route uh, because Frank Clark, he's going to require over $20 million a year. And they just didn't want to do that. Uh, you know, Frank Clark, you know, he last year he said he was the, the leader of that team. But, you know, you, you ask any player who the leader is, and they're going to say it's Bobby Wagner. Um, you know, with, with Earl Thomas being gone, so there, he's the guy that you know he really wanted to be the leader, but they already had a leader. So you know, I, I'm not I'm not a huge you know fan of, C, of the Seahawks, obviously, and you know I, I respect the talent of Frank Clark. You know, but I mean, obviously, 13 sacks last year, what an amazing pass rusher, top 10 guy in the league. But I, I don't know how the relationship was between Frank Clark and the Seahawks because. Uh, you know, I see Frank Clark, you know, speaking negatively right now about the Seahawks, and who knows if that really was the right fit. I mean, obviously he got paid, he got what he wanted, um, you know. But you know, I, I feel as though Frank Clark, you know, was one of those players. He was questioning how much loyalty the ha- team had towards him, and. You know, it'd be you know, if I'm making a contract, I'd much rather have people that aren't, you know, bad mouthing a team after they get traded or something of that nature. Um, you know, it happens all the time in sports. It happen with the Warriors, where Andrew Bogut spoke negatively about the Warriors, and now he's he's back and he's helping us a lot. But you know, Frank Clark, um, twenty million dollars a year, tying him up uh, to that kind of position, having three guys that's going to be over seventy-five million dollars a year. Uh, you know, I, I feel as though it was a huge win. You know, making this trade, like getting an additional draft pick, and you know, not having this twenty million dollars year, even though he's a top ten uh, pass rusher in the league. So, you know, in, in my regards, I thought the Seattle Seahawks made the right trade at the right time, and you know, got you got a first and a second round pick back. I mean, that's you know, in, in twenty nineteen, that's huge.
0: But think about this, though, Mason. I mean. I just keep honing it down because it's so. I don't remember the last time the Seahawks have traded a player in his prime. Uh, Not only uh, in his prime, but like in a prime position. 25 years old. He's two years younger than D Ford. He's accumulated 35 sacks in four seasons. He's only missed, I believe, two, three games, if that's in four seasons. So, extremely consistent, extremely productive. 13 sacks this past year. you know, Bobby Wagner, obviously, he's a great player in his own rights. But, you know, he's, he's a middle linebacker. I mean, you know, you can they're replaceable, per se. Uh, so, sorry, Bobby Wagner fans. I know he's a great player. But, I mean, in the scheme of, like, the priority of building a defense, I mean, typically, the pass rusher is valued more so than an inside linebacker. Um, yeah, I mean, this no longer leads in a boom. But if you're building upon your team and you know that this kid right now, He's 25 years old and getting. He's not even. He's not even in his prime yet. He's going to be 27, 28. That's his prime. So I mean, his best years are ahead of him, and you trade that away. I mean, let's just. I mean, draft history wise, I know you know everyone talks about Richard Sherman and Russell Wilson and all that, but the last three four years they've been having some questionable draft decisions. You know, uh, let's look. I mean, the recent thing is, uh, last year, second round pick Malik McDell. uh, he's no longer on the team and I know he had an ATV accident and he never played it down with the Seahawks, but I mean, stuff like that happens. I mean, they can't, or they haven't been drafting too well, uh, which begs the question of, can, you know, even if you give them more picks, I mean, can they hit on them, um, versus you have a surefire talent in Frank Clark where you know where you're going to get out of him and they didn't necessarily have to pay him right away kind of like i mean kind of like uh, a couple other players that are in limbo with their contract situations like todd Gurley, for example they could have franchised him um you know held him on a little bit but you know still get um his best years and then you know eventually give him that long-term deal they could have slow played it a bit and i know that at least salary cap perspective i mean you know the salary caps going what. 10 million dollars every year so i mean it definitely would be a possibility especially if he's such an important asset to your team um i don't know i mean it's um if you're gonna be a quote-unquote win now win now team and pay russell wilson all this money and then to to let go of your best pass rusher it's kind of a weird vibe that, that i get from from them you know
1: yeah, no, I, I, I can hear uh, you know that side of it as well, um, but you know, end of the day, I just you know I see how much how much money he was going to cost, and they they were at a point where they've seen like look at holdouts nowadays, look how holdouts have changed. I think you know the Le'Veon Bell holdout really kind of changed the game. You know, like, you haven't seen a guy hold out for a whole year, um, and nobody wants to get into a contract debacle. Like it's better, you know, if you, you know that they, they could have strung them on for two years and paid them $17 million a year. They would have paid $17 million the first year, gone up to $19 million the second year, and they could have cut bait then. But who's to say that Ryan Clark wouldn't have held out? And, you know, when a player does hold out, let's say even if they hold out three, four weeks or miss all of training camp, how many times has a player come in and gotten hurt or taken a couple of weeks to really get in the, the right playing shape? So, you know, if you're a team like you've already lost a couple games from your best defensive player, that you're still going to pay a prorated amount of 17 to $19 million dollars a year, why go through all that if you are, are confident in your abilities and you're going to get a first and second round pick for him?
0: Do you think the uh, experience with Earl Thomas, as I'm sure you remember him with his holdout and then comes back and, you know, he gets hurt and do you think that kind of had an effect? They just said, you know what, let's just, let's just cut bait while we can.
1: It's true. I mean, and then like, think about how bad it was with Earl Thomas where, you know, and he's out uh, shaking hands with Jerry Jones uh, talking about, you know, everyone saw him on social media saying like, Hey, uh, come get me. You know, if if I'm there, get me. Y'all can have me. Yeah, you know? and it's like he wanted to be a cowboy. It's like he's sitting there, just still playing for the Seahawks. You know, the season's still going. He's like, hey, come come get me. it's like I'm I'm ready to get on a different team. Right. Uh, you know, it's like you don't want to have those kind of things from like the guy that's your best guy on your team. Uh, you don't want to be in that kind of situation because, like I, I, I've talked about it on the other podcast. The, the leadership and the chemistry um, of a football team they're very key to success. So they wanted to keep the, the nucleus that uh, their type of people that you know they want to have in there, and you know they felt as though going a different route was the decision they wanted to have because you know you could see Ryan Clark possibly holding out. Um, you know it's like I, I get it if I was Ryan Clark I would hold out, but uh, end of the day. Holding out has an effect on the
0: team. Okay, well, limited this. Frank Clark got a five-year, one hundred five point five million dollars. Oh, oh, not Yeah, he got paid. Five years, one hundred five point five million dollars. He got paid. D. Ford, five years, eighty-five point five million dollars. So these pass rushers, I mean, there's a reason why they're getting paid so much money, though. And that's all I'm saying. That it's. Uh, it's certainly possible that they can replace him, um, but it's a lot of pressure on Quentin uh, Jefferson, Rasheem Green, and whoever they draft. Which begs the question: You know, let's go to the next segment of it. All is you know going into this draft, they had the 21st overall pick. Now they have two first-round picks. They have the 21st overall, and they have the 29th overall from the Chiefs. And so they have five draft picks now. I mean, off the top, I mean, I know that the Seahawks love to trade down. It wouldn't surprise me if they traded down one of their picks, or maybe both of their picks to get mid round picks. I don't know. Um, Mason, if you're John Schneider, general manager of the Seahawks, I mean, what say you about this new opportunity with two draft picks, two first round draft picks?
1: Well, you know, I was hearing some rumors that Oliver might fall, the, the safety. Uh, and that would be huge. Um, if you can get a top flight safety to replace Earl Thomas at 21, you're, your, drafts will win already. Um, and I know that they, they did want to trade down, but before they were going to go, uh, from, you know, the 21st pick, they didn't have another pick until, you know, like pick 85 or 90 or something. So it you have no leverage when you're trying to make a trade. So, like I would like to see them, uh, you know, bolster bolster their defense. They're going to need a pass rush. So ideally, I'd like to see them draft. Uh, and there's a lot of edge rushers in this draft. If they can get a good edge rusher, or if they can get Oliver at safety at 21, that would be huge. And you know, if they if they can get a great haul for trading back at 21 or 29, I would absolutely do it. Um, you know, you. I would, in a perfect world, getting, a, you know, one of those top defensive players, uh, either a pass rusher or a safety, and then, uh, you know, having a trade back to acquire more middle-round picks, that's really what that team needs to provide depth you know, right now.
0: If the Seahawks are in win-now mode, just, just hear me out on this. If the Seahawks are in win-now mode and they're looking to replicate – the sort of production out of frank clark who's coming off a 13 sack season um you know i mean i know all rookies are a crapshoot per se but theoretically speaking you know they have two first round picks and it's the seahawk way it's the patriots way to usually trade back but you know what if they go against the grain what if um i mean i'll just put it out there what if josh allen montez sweats Uh, What if one of those top pass rushers who are supposed to be, you know, arguably top five, top 10 talent wise, what if they try to trade up for them? What if uh, one of them slips out of the top five? And, you know, I'm saying like, why not just go and consolidate and get the home run pick and whoever they get in the top 10, top 15. Let's just say that uh, Josh Allen slips out of the top five and he's there at number eight for example he's already at a value he's cost effective because you get him on a rookie salary i mean if this kid is that good you know pro bowl potential and whatnot supposed to be the next best pass rusher shoot do you just go for the fences and and trade up to get him
1: yeah i mean i i think you have to like if you get that kind of pass rusher that if you're truly sold on him, like you have to go through a full betting process to make sure that you have your right guy and they like normally when someone's falling like that there's a reason um but if you've done your homework you believe that's your person I, I would have no problem go you know giving up 21 and 29 to slide up that draft and you know get a true replacement for clark right um uh, and you know, because, yeah, it's uh, outside of the quarterback that you know that pass rush is the most important position. You know, we've we've said that multiple times, and that is the game nowadays. So, you know, they they have a great interior pass rusher, but you need to pair them up with someone else. So, you know, as you said, like a middle linebacker is not where you're getting your pass rush. So. Yeah, they they definitely need someone, and if they have that opportunity, I would say you do it nine times out of ten.
0: Okay, okay. Theoretically speaking, I think the most palpable, the most feasible thing for the, if if I were John Schneider, I would probably, I would probably pick the best pass rusher or the or the best player at number twenty one because the, there should be value. I think someone that's projected to be in the teens will slip out, so you, you nab that person. Could be Rashad Gary uh, from Michigan. He would be a great prospect to have. Uh, and then I think with the 29th overall pick, and this happens every year, uh, there's plenty of quarterback-needy teams that would like to trade back into the first round and get their guy because the reason why first-round quarterbacks are so. Valuable is because they get that fifth-year option that other mid-round picks, second, third, fourth, you know, round picks don't get. You get a fifth round, I'm sorry, not a fifth round. You get a fifth-year option with first-round quarterbacks, which is very cost-effective. Where I could see someone trading into the first round with the 29th overall pick and getting a good haul. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it should be a pretty fun draft. So just, I guess I'm on the side of trading up and consolidating. What side of the fence are you, Mason?
1: I got to say, I, I, I completely agree. Like, um, you know, you, you look at the successful teams, they always trade back, trade back, build up value, you know, look for the future. But I like making that splash. I like getting those top-tier guys. Um, you know, I love having a cornerstone on my offense or defense for the next 10 years. You know, it's, that's what makes the draft fun. Uh it you know, like it's uh, but you know it's that's the difference between being a GM and being a fan like you know i want i want all those fun picks yeah. but at the end of the day you have to think about the the salary cap you have to think about you know projecting out for the future where your team is there's a lot of things you have to consider but for me give me that pass rusher let me make that that fun trade like, you know, I want to be holding, you know, holding up someone's jersey on the front page of my local paper.
0: I feel it. I feel it. We'll find out in two days, by the way. Oh, by the way, guys, it's Tuesday. So, so is on Thursday. You guys will get the pod. So we'll be actually you'll find out like a day from from this podcast. So I feel it. I feel it. Mason, any uh, last parting words in regards to this franchise top of mind after this? We'll go to like our own all-time Seahawks fantasy drafts. Uh, any, any other final words about this team?
1: No, I just, uh, you know, I'm curious to see what they do. I mean, like, what a big trade right before the draft, and we'll see if it's worth it or not. I mean, uh, to your point, they they gave up a really good player. And it's going to be interesting. I think that how they draft will really say where they view their franchise and how they view their future. So it's going to be really grab your popcorn, you know, get ready to watch. Because,
0: yeah, as of right now on the roster, in terms of pass rushers on the edge, you have Rasheem Green, uh, you have Quentin Jefferson, you have Cassius Marsh. I don't give a fuck. Um, Yeah, and you'll probably get a rookie. So they need to do something in the drafts. Yeah. okay so all right so we're at the final end the tail end of the state of the seahawks podcast so i'll put myself just the west number one we'll do bobby via text bobby will be the second and number two and then mason you'll be number three we're gonna do uh a three man fantasy all-time fantasy seahawks draft including snake mason you ready to go oh i'm ready Okay, I'm going to make this easy. Um, so for the first overall pick, since he's the highest paid player, period, in franchise history at that, I'll go ahead and take Russell Wilson because, I mean, you know, you could make a case for a couple other quarterbacks on the franchise roster all time, but Russell Wilson, in my eyes, has, uh, yeah, I mean, he's won Super Bowls. He's the highest paid player right now. I don't see why I would s- say anything bad otherwise so um give me russell wilson with the number one pick
1: mason oh, well, i mean great pick justin i mean you know russell wilson like he's definitely paid as the number one so
0: yeah uh, yeah so what does bobby want go ahead and text him we'll, let me,
1: i'm texting bobby right now he's okay. texting me back Bobby is actually, yes, a typical Bobby pick. He's taking Steve Largent, you know, possibly the, the greatest uh, Seahawk of all time. You know, wide receiver, legend, Hall of Fame wide receiver.
0: I, I can't, uh, yeah, I can't knock that. I was talking about the best quarterback in franchise history. I think that Largent is the best wide receiver. Yeah, great pick, Bobby. Mason, what about you? You got the Did tail end. Back
1: to
0: the, you got back to back. back to the, you're on the tail end.
1: Yeah, it's I love I love the snake. Um, you know, I, I gotta go with my heart here, and I, I gotta say my favorite uh, Seattle Seahawks running back uh, out of uh, Cal Berkeley. <laughs> of course, uh, uh, you know a man that is infamous for ghost riding the whip and uh, coining the the term beast mode. Give me some Marshawn Lynch. I love it. I love it. I still remember, even though I
0: know you're a Niners fan. I know you remember this as well. But Beast Quake, they were the like the first like seven and nine wild card team to clinch a playoff spot, win the division, and they played the Saints at Seattle. You
1: remember that, right? I remember that exact moment. I remember I went, I left the game, you know, to go watch a movie with someone that day. And it was on it was Saturday. I went out, headed, got a movie, and then I come back, and I was like, I thought the game was over because they were down heavily in the beginning. And I turn it on. I'm like, okay, what is this? And then I witnessed that run. And it's like that was the the best oh run my
0: ever. Oh, like, God. Yeah.
1: Oh, that was fun. <laughs> yeah.
0: That was really, but, like, in the prime of, like, the 12th man. The 12s were lit that that day. Oh, oh my God.
1: It yeah. was the—I mean—the whole city that had a mini earthquake. Like, you know, it's—I don't—I don't like how when you go up to Seattle, you see that that twelve flag everywhere. It was at friggin' McDonald's even. Like, it's—you know—I feel as though they should take that twelve flag down. But they do what they do up in Seattle, and you know. So with having said my um, love of beast mode, uh, and I'm a stick with running backs. Two running backs, and, okay. Yeah, you know, we're we're gonna double down. You uh, know, if my memory serves me correctly, you know, I believe that there was this guy who was on the Niners and the Seahawks, and his name was Ricky Running Waters.
0: Ooh, great pass catching back too. He was uh, so versatile, so versatile. That's a great pick too. Um, shoot, okay, okay. So we have back to back Marshawn Lynch, Ricky Waters picks, and so it goes to to Bobby back in the middle Uh, what's he saying right now
1: yeah uh, Bobby is saying Matt Hasselbeck oh
0: okay Uh, you know
1: I I was like Matt Hasselbeck had his years uh, okay yeah yeah former backup a career backup for uh, Brett Favre and uh, you know he came over and you know became the guy so you know good quarterback Matt Hasselbeck
0: I think that good quarterback, but I think, you know, his name, I, I mean, he was, he was a good staple for the fan base. I think they'll forever, you know, be in depth to him. Like, you know, he was, he was good. He wasn't great, but uh, I think he has more value to Seahawks fans than maybe, you know, regular fans of the NFL. Let's just say that. So he, he better, he was better than his brother. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's not saying much guys, but yeah, I I agree. Okay. Okay, so I'll go ahead and finish it out on the snake end with my two picks, okay? Um, so I drafted Russell Wilson, and this is going to be something where he hasn't really had his ent- entire career, which is like a really good left tackle. And the Seahawks, I mean, ironically, they drafted uh, one of the best left tackles in, in the history of the game, Walter Jones, guys. Walter Jones, left tackle. He's going to be my blind side. Protection to Russell Wilson, which is awesome. And let me go ahead and wrap it up with a, a little bit of a shout out to the Legion of Boom, um, man. Because in his prime, yeah, it technically still has some years left. But you know, Earl Thomas, free safety, made the Legion of Boom go. I know that Richard Sherman was like the the representative, um, spoke most of the trash per se for Legion of Boom, but. Um, the free safety spot, especially in that cover three, um, he was the reason why the rest of the team was so freaking good. So, give me a Earl Thomas in his prime years. Um, best of luck with the Ravens, but Earl Thomas in his prime years with the losing of Boom on the Seahawks—that would be my—that uh, would be my third pick. That would be my third pick.
1: Well, you know, I, you, you kind of stole my the pick that I wanna have a little bit later. Yeah, oh, I gotta say, you know, Walter Jones with Walter Jones and Steve Hutchinson uh, on that left side and I believe that they had Max Unger, uh you know, it's kind of like you had three guys that are all uh Hall of Fame talent players. I mean I haven't seen, you know, center to the tackle since the Raiders had that back in the day. Right. So you, know, like you, you remember the numbers that Sean Alexander was putting up. And just, oh, you know.
0: shoot. That's right. That's yeah. right. Sean Alexander.
1: <laughs> but, you know, those, those are so good. I mean, it was definitely aided by that offensive line. What a what an offensive line. So, uh, so Bobby. I just got Bobby's text message for for his next pick. And I got to say it really hurts me uh, because, you know, in typical Bobby Collins fashion, he's selected – um, in an abstract pick, the twelfth fan, as as his third overall pick, <laughs> Hold up, like the twelfth man fan. Yeah, yeah, the the tw- like that flag that we were just talking about. Like he literally selected the the tw- the you know the the twelfth man, which is a flag. So Bobby selected a flag with his third pick.
0: So he's got Steve Largent, Matt Hasselbeck, and the twelfth man.
1: And it, yeah, they're, and they're both waving their 12-man flag.
0: <laughs> Fucking Bobby. Okay, all right. I'll, I'll have to give him shit later, so. Yeah. Fair enough. That's, that's his uh, all Seahawks fantasy team.
1: Yeah. And now... Bring it home. Bring it, bring it home. Bring it home. So, you know, with my last pick, and I really have to go with either Jerry Rice or Richard Sherman here. And... Seeing as how it's the Seahawks draft, I'm going to go with Richard Sherman because what he did when he really was the lockdown cornerback—that was fun to watch. Um, that that whole defense was playing, you know, top level defense, and he was a key part. Um, you know, so you know, I remember the time when it was Revis Island and Richard Sherman as the, you know, well, also Patrick Peterson, but th- those were really the best cornerbacks in the league. So you have to tip your hat to what he did in his time in Seattle and Richard Sherman is my last pick
0: Mason I love it you know why because you say it's true to form you have Ricky Waters a former Niner player you have Marshawn Lynch he's from the Bay Area and you have Richard Sherman who's from the Bay Area actually both he's from the Bay Area and he currently plays for the Niners and so I kind of see a uh, underlying theme with, with your uh, with your draft picks I'm glad I'm glad <laughs> so it's okay uh, alright All right, guys, so once again, thank you so much for checking out the pod. I'm your host, Just the West. Mason, thank you so much for your time. Um, Yeah, I can't believe it. The NFL draft is Thursday, which would be tomorrow for you guys, and so make sure to tune into that. Um, Also, Twitter at Just the West, Instagram at Just the West, and, of course, the blog, www.justthewest.com. Mason, until next time, we out here. Peace. Please move.